In case you didn't notice, she did not read that. She quoted it. So, Kim, that's the standard from now on. You just... I try not to get too involved with the songs that Aaron picks. I try to give him latitude. But I asked him specifically to sing that first song that we sang tonight because as I worked on my message this week, the Lord speaking to my heart, I realized I, I preached a sermon earlier on about Paul's prayer because he prayed a prayer and I preached the sermon basically Here's what your pastor would pray for you. And I realize now Paul is praying again. Jonathan, he starts in chapter 3, verse 1. He starts his prayer, and then he's a Baptist, Vince. So he's got this long parenthesis where he preaches a sermon from the time he starts the prayer. And then he realizes, I guess, that Charlotte, he stopped praying and he's preaching. And he picks up the prayer again in verse 14, which we're reading. And it's the second prayer, John, that he's got in the book of Ephesians. And in the first prayer, he, he's praying more for their physical ability and the things that they will do in service for him. But in the second prayer, it's like he says, here I am on my knees again. And he's praying more for their spiritual strength than he is for their physical strength ability. Now, I want you to notice some things. You know, Jesus taught his disciples how to pray, and Paul, in a sense, is teaching us in this, in this prayer of his. I mean, he's actually praying for them, but, but he's, he's really giving us a good example of how we ought to pray. And he gives three different parts to that prayer. He begins with an invocation that it is calling out. When I think of all this, I fall to my knees and pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. Now, I want you to notice his position in prayer. For this reason, I kneel before the Father. Now, you look throughout the Bible and you find different examples of praying. Abraham stood and prayed. Solomon, in the dedication of the, of the temple, I don't know whether to do this or not because the cameraman probably won't follow me, but he got on his knees, Solomon did, on the platform and raised his hands in prayer. Some of you who refuse and you think it's unscriptural to raise your hands, you need to look what Solomon did. He raised his hands to God the Father in prayer. And after he ended the prayer, then he stood up and spoke to the people. Um, Paul knelt. Paul was known for kneeling. There's a couple of motions in the Bible that I read about Paul. Just about every time he's making a speech, it says he motions with his hands. Now, some of you, I'm not going to call any names, but some of you can't talk if we tied your hands. And there are people who want to tie your hands. But Paul, it says he made a motion with his hands. And I don't know if that means be quiet or, you know, I don't know what motion that he made. 
but he also knelt when he prayed. Now, there, you don't have to kneel when you pray. Um, I, I remember I had a pastor at one time, or he pastored the church I grew up in, and he would get on his knees. He'd pray before every sermon. He'd read his text, and then he would pray, but he would get on his knees to pray. Well, there's nothing wrong with that, but you don't have to get on your knees to pray. We had a friend in, in Kenya, and Brenda told me about this, and, and, and then I saw it. Um, Brenda was talking with, about something that was going on in our lives or our ministry, and Eileen said, well, let's just pray about that. They're walking along the sidewalk, and Eileen just starts praying out loud, walking along the sidewalk. Now, I met a guy the other day who was walking along, uh, talking out loud as he's walking. I don't think he was praying, but you don't have to close your eyes to pray. You don't have to kneel. And, and I've told you before about the guy, I think I probably sinned by calling him an idiot, but anyway, he, he was a preacher and he came to the seminary and during chapel, he talked about, uh, he said, I pray while I'm driving. Well, that wasn't strange. I've done plenty of that. Sometimes it was for the vehicle I was driving to make it where we were going, but I was praying. Um, Poppy Goulding and Costa Rica is with the Lord now, another hero of missions, but Poppy Goulding was known to be, shall we say, aggressive in his driving, and his wife, Mommy Goulding, would sit there and pray out loud while he's driving. And people who rode with them were grateful and sometimes joined in with her because of his, his driving. The guy that came to chapel that day said I pray when I drive and then he said and I close my eyes <laughs> he said I think Jesus can drive the car better than I can anyway and I leaned over to the guy next to me and said remind me never to get in the car with that whatever it was I called him You're, but listen you need to understand it's not your position in prayer that's really important it's your attitude that matters the most. We ought to pray. We ought to pray sitting down. We ought to pray standing up. We ought to pray kneeling. We ought to pray walking along. We ought to pray while we're driving. Just don't close your eyes. But it's your attitude of prayer, calling on God the Father, that most is most important. You see, we not only see Paul's position in prayer, we see Paul's direction in prayer. I fall to my knees and I pray to the Father. Just in case you're not sure who that is, he said, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. When we pray, we're calling on our Father God. Bill Simmons used to always begin his prayer with Father God, Father God. I'm sorry, but every time I think about how you ought to begin your prayer, I switch to Swahili just for a moment because we would pray in Swahili. Which means you, all-powerful God. Remember who you're praying to. He is the God 
all-powerful, almighty, who hears your prayers. We pray to the Father, through the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and hopefully we are praying, being led by the Spirit of God. One I've said before, we'll never pray wrong if we're praying in the Spirit. If the Spirit of God is leading us, if we're in tune with the Spirit of God, we'll never make foolish requests of God. We'll always be praying in the will of God the Father. How's your prayer life? Mine could always use improvement. The busier I get, the worse my prayer life gets. And it ought to be just the opposite. The more I have to pray for, the more I ought to pray. I bow on my knees. Lord, here I am on my knees again. Lord, I need you. Lord, I need you. I want you to notice not only the invocation, but the petition. What that petition means, that's the elements, that's the things that I am praying for. Now, in his petition, in his request to God, Paul prays for four elements of spirituality. Remember I said that this second prayer in the book of Ephesians has more to do with inner strength. Greta's uh, spiritual strength than it does physical strength. And so he, he prays, Sandy, for four elements of spirituality. First of all, he prays for unlimited strength. I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. That word from in ESV says that it is according to, according to his glorious unlimited resources. That means, Shelley, in proportion to. Delane, it's not out of his unlimited strength, but in proportion to. Now, if you were getting an inheritance from a rich parent or aunt or uncle, and, and I mean, they were crazy rich, would you want an inheritance out of their riches, or would you prefer an inheritance in proportion to their riches? And what he's talking about here is according to or in proportion to not really from or out of, but in proportion to his unlimited strength. Notice that his resources are, in fact, unlimited. He never runs out of strength. I get tired. The older I get, the sooner I get tired, and the more tired I get. My wife and I talk about that occasionally. And some of you keep telling me to slow down. And I'm trying. I really am. My wife says, amen, you're trying, all right. Huh? But God never runs out of strength. He is mungo mwenyenzi. He is the, the one who has all power. We're, we ought to pray for his strength. And, and notice that it says that he will empower you. That that 
term, again, an ESV reads that he may, I lost Macy, she's here somewhere. She, it says he will grant you. Listen, his strength is a gift of grace that he gives you. And he never runs out. He never gets tired of giving you. And he will not rebuke you <clears throat> if you keep asking for that strength. And notice that it is inner strength through his spirit that he wants to give you. It's not the outward strength. It is inward strength. And Notice then in the next verse, then Christ will make his home in your hearts. Again, ESV says dwell. One commentator, uh, I think it's, I lost Charles. Charles Wiest says that he will move in and become comfortable in your home, in your heart. I like that. That is rich. He will not only, Don, dwell in your heart, he'll be comfortable there. He'll set up housekeeping. And, and when he does, he will keep you strong. He uses the terms rooted and grounded. Rooted is a term that has to do with botany. It is like a plant. The, the roots go deep and they provide the nourishment for you. Where does your nourishment come from? Listen to me, if all you get out of the Word of God is what you hear from me on Sunday morning, you're going to starve to death spiritually. You see, Paul is preaching about inner strength. And your strength comes from the Word of God and the Spirit of God as He works inside you, as you spend time with God. You need to be rooted in the Word of God. You need to be rooted in Christ. You need to be rooted in the Spirit of God. And you need inner strength. More than you need physical strength, you need inner strength. Not only rooted, but in the ESV it says grounded. That you being rooted and grounded in love. Rooted means the source of nourishment, but grounded means that you've got a good foundation, grounded. They've dug down to bedrock to build the building. Uh, I read the story that Warren Wearsby told, said they were building an, a, a new building there at the church in Chicago, and he got frustrated and was complaining to the contractor about how long they were working on the foundation. They were digging down so far. Of course, he said, well, we were building on a dry lake bed. So they, they kept digging and digging and pouring concrete and, and putting down pilings. And he complained about how long it was taking. And he said the contractor told him something that had be become a watchword for him for the rest of his life. He said, if you don't go deep, you can't go high. That's true spiritually. You know that? How deep are you? How grounded are you? What kind of foundation of faith 
do you have? If you don't go deep, you can't build high. He also prayed, secondly, I said there are four spiritual truths that, that he prayed about as part of his petition. The second was immeasurable love. And may you have the power to understand as all God's people how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. Okay, how long is God's love? It is as, it is as long as eternity. For nothing shall separate us from the love of God. How wide is God's love? It's wide enough to cover the entire world. There is no one who is out of or left out of God's love. Not you. Not me. Everyone here. You need to understand, if nobody's told you, you need to know that God loves you. You personally. Not just you all. Sometimes we're part of a crowd and, and somebody says God loves you and you say, well, yeah, He loves everybody. No. I mean, He does. But He loves you. He loves you personally. Every one of you, every person on earth, that's how wide God's love is. How deep is it? Deeper than the deepest sea. Deeper than we can fathom or imagine. How high is it? All the way to heaven. All the way to heaven. And He would love you all the way to heaven if you'd trust Him and follow Him. It's immeasurable. How much is it? And notice... He's praying for an impossibility. Do you get that? He's praying that we would know how long, how wide, how deep, how high the love of God is, and it is impossible for us to measure. Take out a measuring tape. Measure it if you can. No, it's immeasurable. Not only does he pray for something that's impossible, he, he prays for something else that's impossible. He says he's praying for unknowable knowledge, incomprehensible knowledge, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. He's praying for something that's seemingly impossible. You know what that means? It means that we need to be praying bigger prayers. Nothing is impossible with God, but His love is not immeasurable and unknowable, but Paul's praying for it anyway. You know, I said we need to pray bigger prayers. How big our prayers are depend upon how big we think our God is. How big is your God? By the way, I said bigger prayers. I didn't say longer prayers. There's a difference. What are you asking God for? In fact, at this moment in your prayer life, what are you praying for? That when it happens, 
it will have to have been God that did it because you can't. We need to be praying big prayers because we've got a big God. Then, number four, I said four different spiritual uh, elements of spirituality. He prays that they will be filled by an infinite God. Now think about that. Being filled, you as a person being filled with a God that's too big for any dwelling anywhere, who occupies the universe, and yet he prays that you may be filled with the measure of all the fullness of God. Once again, Jonathan, God's immeasurable. You cannot measure his size, but what he's what he's praying for is that you will be filled with the measure, that you would know the fullness of God. You know what that means? You know what it means to be filled with the Spirit? To be filled with God? It means that He's in charge. Being filled with the Spirit is not measurable. Carol, I can't say you're half full or you're three-quarters full. You're either full or you're not. What that means is, is he in charge? Listen, God doesn't want to be your co-pilot. He wants to be your pilot. If he's just your co-pilot, he's just my co-pilot, I'm in trouble. He wants to be my pilot. Give him the controls. I was thinking this week about flying and I remember we were flying over the jungles of Indonesia, visiting with Chase and Kelly Reynolds. And the pilot said, can you hold the controls just a minute? I said, well, the truth is I'm, I'm a low-time private pilot. Hadn't flown in years, but I've got my pilot's license. He said, oh, good, take the controls. Now, nobody else in the plane Chase or Kelly or the kids or Brenda. Brenda didn't give me permission to fly the airplane, but I, was, I at least was holding the controls and keeping it on track to go where we were going. Somewhere along the way, he glanced at the instruments, and one of them was wrong. And he said, I've got the controls. And I knew what I was supposed to do. I showed him my hands. You've got the plane. God just said to you, right here, right now, give me the controls. Let go. Quit trying to manage this on your own. Give me control. He doesn't want to be your co-pilot. Just tell you what to do. He wants to be in control of your life. Will you let him? Or will you crash the plane because you forget to let go of the controls? Finally, there is the benediction. There's the invocation, there's the petition, and there's the benediction. It says, now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus 
through, uh, through all generations forever and ever. Amen. The benediction comes before the amen. I will never forget. I didn't know what a benediction was. I had never heard that terminology. It had never been printed on an order of service in any church that I was in. But I went to a black congregation in Pensacola, Florida to preach the graduation ceremony for a seminary there. Had a good mixture of white students, Hispanic students, and black students. That was a blessing. But getting to preach in that black church on that evening of graduation was one of my favorite experiences in my life. I mean, I, I looked at the schedule and I was preaching the sermon and then later I had the benediction. I didn't know what a benediction was, but oh man, I had a good time preaching. I mean, talk about feedback from the congregation. Don, the pastor of the church, somewhere during my sermon was enjoying my sermon, I guess, because he got up behind me and was patting me on the back saying, go on. Go on, go on. I about preached myself to death. Man, I don't like that. Somewhere along the way, I made some statement about people who say they can't tithe, but they got cable network in their house. And he, he quit patting me on the back, and he said, you be careful now. Somebody, somebody might hear you. Wow. I'd, I'd love to do that again. I'd, what a blessing. But I gave the benediction that day. I had to figure out what a benediction was. Basically, it is a praise and a petition in short form at the end of a worship service or a prayer. In this case, Paul is blessing God. Now, people say, bless God. And I, I used to think, how do you bless God? He blesses us. No, that term, bless God, means praise God. Praise God. And notice that he praises God by talking about his ability. Now, all glory to God who is able. I've said it to you before. I'll say it to you again. It's not your ability. It's your availability. It's not whether you're able, it's whether or not you've got faith in the one who is able. He has all ability. It's not about our ability, it's about his ability. Through his mighty power, Mungu Mwenyenzi, the all-powerful God. That's not Greek or Hebrew, I'm speaking, that's Swahili, by the way. And it is at work within us. Is God's power working in you and in me? I didn't think about it to, to, to say it, didn't plan on saying it, but I just prayed before I stepped out from behind the curtain, Lord, I can't do this. I need you to do it. I don't want to preach in my strength. I want to preach in his strength. And I never want to rob his glory. I appreciate it when you make positive comments about my preaching, but the glory belongs to God because it's His ability, it's His mighty power at work within us and get this, to accomplish His power works in you to accomplish what you otherwise could not do. You just got to trust Him. You got to turn Him loose within you. You have to allow him 
to have the controls and his power will be energized within you to accomplish more than you ever dreamed or thought. He wants to do that. He wants to do it. You, you say, yeah, but you're the pastor, you're the preacher, he wants to do it in you. No, I'm here today to tell you he wants to work powerfully in your life and in your life and yours and yours. Will you let him? Will you let him? His ability and his glory. He starts out in, in the first verse, verse 20. He, he says, all glory. Then in 21, glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. It's talking about the glory. He is our glorious God, and we need to glorify Him. By the way, it's also His church, and His church ought to glorify Him. It's not, we're not here for entertainment. We're not here to choose whether we're enjoying it or not. We worship, we sing, we praise, we preach, and we, we do everything to His glory. That's what it's all about. And just if the church ever becomes just about us, the power in the church will end and the light will go out. Just as sure as the power goes out, the lights will quit glowing. The lights will go out. The same thing is true if we steal God's glory and we make this church about us and it is our church and not His church. The power of the Spirit will leave the building and the light of God will go out. We need to make sure that we are glorifying God. Listen, how big is your God? I mean, really. How big is your God? Then, how big are your prayers? We need to pray bigger prayers. And who is at the control of your life? There's probably somebody in the building this morning that needs to acknowledge that their God is bigger than they ever thought. There's probably somebody in the building this morning that needs to apologize to God for stealing His glory. There's probably somebody in the building this morning that needs to commit to God to pray bigger prayers. And there's probably somebody in the building this morning that needs to let go of the controls and give them to God. Is that somebody you... What are you going to do about it? Listen, I want to stand with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. I want you to think about what you've heard. I want you to think about what God has said to you. I want you to think about what God wants you to do with your life this morning. What commitment do you need to make? There's probably somebody in this building who needs to be saved. You've never trusted God with your soul, with your spirit. 
There's probably somebody in the building who needs to be baptized. There's probably somebody in the building who needs to move your membership to come join the church in whatever way we can receive you. That's what this time is all about. That's what this invitation is all about. As the music plays, will you make that decision for Christ? Will you come to him now? Will you come? Father, I do thank you for your word, for the opportunity of preaching. And I pray for those who need to make decisions. Father, I pray that if there's someone who should have come and they did not, I pray that you would draw them to yourself and, Lord, that they would make the commitment that they need to make. Lord, that they would even come to me after the service in the lobby and ask me to pray with them, to confess what they've, the decision they've made. Lord, may you be glorified in the services of Faith Baptist Church and in my life. In Jesus' name, amen.